0: Welcome to another podcast in our Time Out with Dentons series. My name's Anthony Walsh, and I'm a banking and finance partner in Dentons. Today, I'm joined by Elise Ivory, one of my regulatory and compliance partners, and Tim Sherrard, one of my insolvency partners. Our plan today is to have a chat about the challenges facing Australian financial institutions right now and into the near-term future. It certainly is a very challenging time, for all of us, both personally, professionally, as we deal with the COVID-19 situation. But there are many insights and many solutions and many innovations that are appearing as a consequence of what we're dealing with today. And certainly within the financial institution space, we are seeing these innovations, solution-minded and very customer-centric approaches to the issues that are being faced by our clients and by their customers. It's good to have Elise and Tim here today because they have been front and center of a lot of the concerns that have been hitting the industry over the last couple of weeks. And they've got some great insights as to how this may impact the long-term industry going forward. Elise, if if, you don't, if I don't mind turning to you first, I guess um, we're in a period of self-isolation. You, like I, Uh, We're working remotely today, and I guess it's really important for us to understand how financial institutions are adapting and changing their processes to accommodate for this self-isolation period, and the thoughts and processes that the industry is taking on board to help financial institutions and their customers.
1: Yes, so we have entered a, a very different period. Obviously, people are staying in their houses, they're not going out, and that does impact how we're doing business. So we've had an influx of, of queries from clients, uh, mainly around uh, electronic delivery and uh, signing of documents, and also around how you um, identify customers. So verification of identity has become something that is discussed quite, quite a lot as well. So I'll start with VOI. Um, in order to meet Safe Harbor for VOI, you have to do a face-to-face interview. That's not possible all the time at the moment, so industry is looking for other uh, ways of doing their voy. Unfortunately, you can't meet safe harbour unless you do face-to-face. So they are having to come up with other steps that would constitute the reasonable steps under the legislation that they're allowed to, to take. So this has included things like the digital ID solutions, um, video conferencing and um, other video providers that provide a, a specific service uh, to industry. So there's quite a few providers out there and we're seeing a lot of uh, our lenders take up those providers. And they're just looking for other ways to identify people. And the the main thing we're looking at is what they're doing it, um, on a whole. So it may not be one thing that they're doing that will satisfy their requirements, but looking at everything they do together gives us a good indication as to whether they're covered uh, for verification of identity. Elise, if
0: you don't mind me jumping in just quickly, uh... So this is basically for self-isolation purposes, but it's also trying to improve the overall customer experience, I guess, as well, um, in terms of the verification of identity purposes.
1: Yeah, look, we've always received questions about non-face-to-face verification of identity because there is a big push for online applications and um, load processing. So there were people who were sort of trying to lean in that direction before COVID-19 started, and now we're just seeing more people having been forced to push into that area and to take greater risk when it comes to verification of identity. So these are things that were sort of happening before, but now they're, they're much more important. But I think that they're changes that eventually would have happened anyway. They've just become they're just more front and center now. The other one, of course, is electronic service and delivery and signing of documents. And again, this is something that our team has been talking to clients about for quite a significant amount of time, um, because it is the way of the future. Not everybody wants to get paper documents and customers are more and more accepting of of making contracts online uh, and electronically. So there has been a big push of late. However, obviously now with people self-isolating, they're not able to get out. Also on the lender's side, if they don't necessarily have the capability to do en masse printing like they have been in the past uh, due to having to work from home, uh, certainly electronic signing and delivery of, of documents is very important. And the thing that we're finding is the advice we're giving will depend on how far down the road of electronic creation of contracts the client was prior to COVID-19. So we're looking at quite um, simple solutions such as emailing documents and then getting a PDF copy back all the way to sophisticated electronic signing programs um, and looking at everything in between And the the risks that are associated with those technologies and those ways of doing things um, and also the benefits and cost savings and how it can be effective and and how to mitigate the risks. Elise,
0: if you don't mind me jumping in again, I know I'm very good at doing that when we talk and apologies. But certainly from my perspective, there are still some legal barriers that need to be worked through in terms of a full digitised sort of solution for on lending solution. And I know that we as a firm have been working with ABA and PEXA and other industry bodies to really sort of overcome those issues what are the sort of key key issues that are being worked through with the industry at the moment and do you think the last three weeks has seen greater progress than say the last three years in terms of solving these particular barriers?
1: Yeah absolutely so there's always been a barrier, a problem with mortgages being signed electronically, and the various state requirements has always been a bit of a sticking point for the industry and, and whether you can rely on an electronically signed mortgage. Uh, we've we've been pushing that in the past, and that's sort of come to a position where um, it's a uh, it's going to be acceptable in some states. The other big issue is companies electronically signing documents, um, and the fact that. Section 127 of the um, Corporations Act is not covered under the Electronic Transactions Act, so therefore you can't rely on those, um, you can't rely on Section 127. So the ABA um, and some of the other industry bodies and and certainly industry itself have really been pushing for uh, the regulators to change that to facilitate uh, electronic signing, um, you know, particularly given it's necessary in the current climate. And there's definitely been much more movement in the last few weeks than there has been previously. Um, so we are seeing things that I think would have happened anyway, but be be sped up significantly out of just pure need to to get it done.
0: That's great news. And I and and for me, I believe you know it's kind of ironic in terms of signing a deed that you can sign with paper or pigskin, but you can't sign. With an elect digital signing products, you know, and exactly. have the assumptions under Section 129 of the Corporations Act. So certainly, it's good to see some movement. There. Just to turn to um, Tim, just for a second. Obviously, that that's sort of some of the new lending sort of front end issues that we're dealing with around business continuity. The other thing, Tim, that. Um, we're seeing in the market a lot is around hardship and enforcement and what would be useful to, to sort of get your perspective on how lenders are approaching both of those situations in the industry at the moment because there has been widespread publicity on this by the government, by the ABA and, and by a number of different bodies and how you're seeing that approach in terms of the customer-centric uh, perspective and also at an industry perspective as well.
2: Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Um, Look, I think early on, there seemed to be pretty good dialogue between the government and in particular the ABA, because we quite quickly saw banks in particular coming out and announcing an across-the-board availability of of a six-month payment deferral. So, you know, whilst it wasn't uh, harking back to the days of government-mandated moratoriums, there certainly seems to have been a discussion with government that that has resulted in in that being uh, implemented. And then that really has also trickled down to really most lenders who have in effect put a hold on enforcement action for the current period and, um, and have followed suit in that regard. The one area of enforcement in particular that's become a little bit challenging in particular is um, the mortgagee sale aspect because the one area of uh, enforcement that most lenders had looked to continue was where they had a property in possession, they would proceed with the process to sell that property. Uh, but then of course, uh, just as recently as a week or so ago, we had the ban on open houses and on uh, physical auctions, which, which necessitated lenders and mortgagees to have to reconsider their approach to proceeding with mortgagee sales. A lot of auctions were um, obviously cancelled. And it's interesting, there's there's been for some years now, a number of products in the market for offering an online virtual auction platform. It hasn't had a lot of take up in the industry, but uh, one anticipates that in this current environment, there may well be greater uptake in that and potentially uh, on into the future. Because certainly that is one method of gaining a very wide Audience for an auction and a, and a wide potential bidding pool. Tim,
0: just on that, um, obviously, I buy concepts in America have been out there, and you know there has been things in terms of innovation that are going out in terms of trying to find solutions. Uh, so that that's that's really interesting to note. But one of the, the 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 specific issues that financial institutions have been dealing with is is hardship. Um, and how to approach hardship, and certainly as an industry, that there is no sort of best practice because we've never come across a situation like this. Even in times of the global financial crisis, we, we certainly haven't dealt with this. So Tim would be interested to know how you're seeing the industry approach this, um, be it on an individual portfolio basis, because there are industries that are specifically impacted by this, such as hospitality and real estate.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've all read in the media um, that. Lenders are really being inundated with hardship inquiries, and that's really coming from two two sources. One, customers who are uh, are or have been directly impacted and are having you know, may have lost their jobs or had their hours reduced and their income reduced, and so uh, are having trouble meeting their payments. But also, I think there's been a great volume of inquiries from people who are concerned about what might happen in the future and whether they may be impacted in the future and what will be available. And technically, under the hardship provisions of the code, both those situations will trigger a bank's and a lender's obligation to deal with those inquiries under the hardship regime. Just on a purely practical perspective, I think you know, most lenders have really found it a challenge to deal with the sheer volume. I know a lot of lenders have redirected internal resources to assist in dealing with that significant volume of hardship inquiries. Uh, they've looked to implement innovative streams, uh, a number of setup portals via their website to try to channel uh, hardship inquiries and hardship requests through that channel to try to improve the customer experience rather than sitting on a phone for some hours and perhaps having the phone drop off, uh, at least customers are able to log their hardship requests through uh, an online portal and then have those dealt with uh, as and when they're able to. So I think, yeah, partly just the physical um, or practical challenges have been significant for, for, for lenders. But the other issue you raise quite legitimately uh, Anthony, is how how do, they, how do the banks then practice deal with those hardship inquiries and in particular hardship applications from customers who are impacted? We know that under the legislation, uh, there is an obligation on lenders to give genuine consideration to each individual customer's circumstances and work with the customer to try to reach a resolution that meets that customer's needs. Now, just given the sheer volume of inquiries that banks and, and non-bank lenders are dealing with, I think it has necessitated, as you've suggested, a more portfolio-based approach where we've seen things like the six-month deferral of the payments being offered to customers as an across-the-board solution. Now, what remains to be seen is how that will be looked at retrospectively by by regulators and perhaps more relevantly by AFCA.
0: And look, Tim, that's a a really good sort of segue into having a chat with Elise around ASIC and AFCA because I know that she's been speaking to a number of these industry bodies around what sort of relief from requirements or, or adjustments will be made as a consequence of the situation we're in. And Alisa, I was just wondering whether you sort of have anything to add in, in that particular vein to sort of give us a feel for, for the way the industry bodies are approaching this, because it is unprecedented. We haven't had anything like this, you know, the industry bodies are learning it as they go, but it's certainly some guidance um, will help the industry move forward for this situation.
1: Yeah, look, industry is looking for more guidance, particularly from uh, ASIC and AFCA. There has been a relief package, a response package that has been provided regarding um, responsible lending and business loans, so loans that are mixed purpose, personal and and business purposes. There is a, a relief package there however in relation to just straightforward personal domestic household loans uh, responsible lending obviously still applies ASIC have come out and said you know they know that it's going to apply in a different way to what it it was before all this started they've said you know the law is principles based therefore it can adapt and lenders will have to adapt and be flexible when looking at the customer circumstances and assessing loans um, and assessing you know whether they should proceed or not and because that has been a main question from ASIC you know if they've got a loan in the pipeline and the customer circumstances are changed and should they be proceeding. Uh, ASIC has said, well, you need to look at the situation for that customer uh, and whether it's better to proceed with the loan and put them straight into hardship or whether it is better for them to to not take out the loan, which is very hard, particularly if there is a purchase involved. And, and ASIC accepts that. They accept that there will be commercial decisions that have to be made and that there's a greater level of uncertainty And that that everything is not the same now as as what it was. That doesn't mean that lenders can be, you know, get relaxed about their responsible lending obligations. In fact, that in some ways, they might need to tighten some up. But there is the opportunity for them to to use commercial judgment in in these circumstances. Of course, the question then is AFCA, uh, because often they're the more immediate entity that that lenders need to deal with because they're, they're dealing with the complaints. They haven't given as much guidance as what ASIC have. They've, they've said they understand what industry is going through and that they will be flexible and and they want to talk to industry about, about what's going on. But they've also said that they expect that there's no default position and that what an institution does for each of their customers will always be different. So they they have acknowledged that they're in a difficult time but they haven't said that they will—they'll be necessarily relaxing any of their views or, or any of their their actions. They'll be escalating anything COVID nineteen related, and they will be making sure it's dealt with quickly. And they would will expect that each situation is looked at on a case by case basis.
0: At least that sort of follows back to what Tim was talking about in relation to individual decisions and, and really assessing people in terms of their individual needs absolutely I'm conscious of the time and the time that's being taken out um, by people listening to this so as I said at the beginning of this um, it's a very challenging period but we've seen some real sort of solution orientated approaches and we've seen a very industry considered approach to the challenges that we're in and for me you know that is a real positive that's come out of this challenging period Tim and Elise what would be good to hear to sort of round this off is, one or two positives that you've seen come out of the last couple of weeks, because although it has been challenging, we have seen the industry work together in a lot of different ways.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I Look, the positives that I've seen have been the push forward in, in electronic delivery and um, identification and pushing for things forward that everyone had probably been sitting on and hadn't proceeded with because it was perhaps too hard or they couldn't quite get their head around it. And now, now they're they're pushing forward. And I, I do think that's a positive. Well, that,
0: that's good to hear. And Tim, um, that's a real good positive from Elise. And then is there anything in the, your particular area that's that's been a positive that you've seen?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's been very positive to see generally the way that lenders have been very willing to uh, offer solutions to customers uh, who are impacted. Um, I think it demonstrates that that, that lenders uh, you know, really are trying to do the right thing and 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 uh, look after customers as far as there is possible. I think it's also been heartening to see. The regulators, in particular, come out and and recognise that there will be challenges for lenders operating in this environment, and saying that they will take into consideration that lenders, um, you know, acting reasonably, dealing in the prevailing conditions, in how they look to implement the laws that they that they administer.
0: Well, thank thanks, Tim and Elise. Um, it's been great having a chat today, and taking some time out with Dentons for our podcast series. And thank you again. For everyone that's listening, stay safe and um, we look forward to joining you again with our next podcast. Thanks very much.